Afraid I'll have to have those guns. It was a fair fight. We was legal. I'm sorry, boys. I gotta take it before Judge Spicer. Hand him over. Law and order every time. That's us. <laughs> What's the big brew? <laughs> you want answers? I think I'm entitled. You can't handle the truth. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. Welcome to the beautiful campus of LCMSU, everyone. Who are you? I am. The Chancellor. Yeah, baby. Master <laughs> Marcus Zill. I'm Back in the student union today with Pastor Eric Andre in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, campus pastor at First Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, serving. How many campuses do you technically serve, Eric? Uh, Marcus, I have lost count, but but the, our chief campuses are uh, University of Pittsburgh, Pitt, uh, and Carnegie Mellon, CMU. But we also serve Chatham, Duquesne, the local community college, uh, Carlo, several other schools. But mainly CMU and Pitt. Those are the ones that are within walking distance of the church and are the two largest schools as well. I know. Ever since I've known you, um, and whenever I have to put something in print, you are always like, get all of them in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like, otherwise my... it's, it's like it's like a, I have a word count of 400. <laughs> <laughs> well, otherwise my students, you know, from oh, those sure. schools— They'll get on my case. So. Sure. It's like, and hey, you know, so. how come yeah. my school is? I, I get it. And it should be yep. that way. That's great. Yep. How long have you been there? Yeah, I've been here since February 2001. So over 18 years full time. Uh, I'm the first Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod pastor, campus pastor in the Pittsburgh area. And um, we have, I guess, what you could call what's traditionally called a town and gown ministry. So we are very much connected with the local congregation at First Trinity, which has its own you know, full-time parish pastor. Um, and then, as I said, on full-time campus ministry, but we have services with them on Sunday. And, and, you know, that's really the main thing. But then during the week, we have midweek student Bible study dinner and compline evening prayer. We have lots of social activities, service projects. Uh, our students volunteer a lot. We have a homeless ministry that grew out of our campus ministry, actually out of, out of a Bible study we were doing on vocation a, a number of years ago. And, and as, as we mentioned, I serve several different schools. I'm on campus a lot, uh, CMU and Pitt within walking distance, as I said. And yeah, I, I just love it. You know, I, I don't think there's any, anything more important in campus ministry, and I don't know if there's anything more fun either. So no, uh, I love, I love it's, it's hard to yeah. believe you've been there for 18 years. I know, right? Well, yeah. So I, start, I started when I was 10 years old, you know? So, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Child prodigy. I have to say that because you know my students tease me about my 47 years of age, but uh, no. it's all good. It's all in good fun. <laughs> no, but uh, now, um, now you got you, First Trinity is kind of right in the thick of things there in the heart of the city. And uh, d- did you guys with with the the synagogue shootings that took place in Pittsburgh? How far away was that from you? And what's that oh, been not, like not, in the aftermath of that? Yeah, not not far at all. As a matter of fact, one of the universities that I serve, CMU is in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood of Pittsburgh, and that's where that synagogue was. And it's literally right behind, actually right across the street from Chatham University, which is 
one of the schools I serve about a, I bike everywhere. So that's about a 10 minute bike ride from where we are. And uh, mm. yeah, the community, the community really reached out. Um, I, I'm good friends with one of the local rabbis that works for Kabad campus ministry. And uh, you know, I had good conversations with him and, and with his wife. And uh, I mean, it was a terrible thing, uh, oh, but man. the community, the community, the community came together, including the campus community with, uh, you know, with really great support. So um, yeah, it was a very, very trying time. It still is. Well, you have done a tremendous job there, you and Pastor Spatel, and you're getting a vicar into the mix as well. Um, I see yeah. coming up. That's going to be exciting for you guys there at First Trinity. If anybody is ever uh, in, per- in Pittsburgh thinking about going to Pittsburgh, et cetera, et cetera, you can't, send, uh, you can't find a better church and you can't find better people or a better campus pastor, I might say, too. So, so you uh, truly have uh, done wonderful things there. And uh, anyways, we thank you for that. Thanks, Marcus. I appreciate it. Speaking of which, I've been kind of going through on the radio show here at our witness conference this last January. It's taken me a little bit of time, but we've been kind of going through some of the sectionals, uh, some of the topics. And you did one because you're a basketball kind of a junkie and uh, kind of a gym rat, as I recall. I remember you coming out to a conference that I was putting on once. You're like, hey, is there a basketball court nearby? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I always bring my basketball shoes. (laughs) Just in case. And yep. you did a topic on uh, the three triplets of the law, thinking about kind of like we're at the tail end of basketball season here a little. Anyways, yeah. what, what gave you the impetus of the, the three triplets? So you you're th- you got threes on your mind. Yeah, yeah. So it's not only, you know, it's not only Steph Curry and James Harden that reign threes, but it's God. He's reigning threes in a way. Uh, you know, the, what, what I guess the impetus for me has been, uh, you know, over the years as a campus pastor, there's there's certain questions that seem to always come up, whether it's from within the church, whether from Christian students or, or from without. And uh, one, you know, and, and, and it's sometimes it's sexual ethics. Uh, sometimes it's the, the authority of scripture. Sometimes it's creation evolution. It, it seems to be uh, around those three are kind of the main issues and questions that come up and, and related to sexual ethics, kind of a subset of that question, as well as biblical authority is, is, is a question that's come up almost more of an attack really um, mm. against me as a pastor and against the church, which is, Hey, you know, you guys in the church, you, you hold on to traditional sexual ethics prohibitions from the old Testament, for example, but uh, you guys eat shrimp and you sew two different garments together and, uh, and you're not worshiping on Saturdays. You're worshiping on Sundays. We like bacon. You know, yeah. We like bacon. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, so so you're hypocrites it has kind of been the charge. And uh, I think a lot of our young people and, and maybe middle aged and older people are not they, they kind of they know that the charge is not valid, but they they're not always, I think, ready or equipped to answer why that's the case. And so I think when we dig into the Old Testament law, the first thing to notice is that the first triplet, if you will, mm-hmm. is that there's really three different types of Old Testament law. Um, there's the ceremonial law, there is the political law, and there is the moral law. And mm. and just a real quick overview yeah, of that, do. Marcus, because I think it's I think in a way it's it's fairly simple, fairly simple. There's some overlap, which sometimes makes it a little tricky, but we'll, we'll talk about that later as well. But the ceremonial law, uh, you know, has to do with uh, uh, dietary restrictions, has to do especially maybe with a sacrificial system, if we think of that. Uh, you know, uh, circumcision, uh, the keeping of the Sabbath. These were ceremonial ritualistic laws, which applies only to ancient Israel and not to the church as a new Israel. 
because these things have been fulfilled in Christ. Um, he is the one who fulfills the Sabbath by resting on it and is now our, in the grave and is now our Sabbath rest. He is the final sacrifice and sacrificial system as the Lamb of God offered for the sins of the world. Um, he is our food and drink, and all things are free to us. And, and this is not an inconsistency. This is not just merely some sort of theoretical musings by a local campus pastor connecting the dots. This is explicit in scripture. I mean, if you read almost the entirety of the letter to the Hebrews is engaged with this. Paul mm. engages it very much in, in Galatians, for example, in first Corinthians, this is explicit, um, in Colossians as well. So, uh, so the charge that we are inconsistently picking and choosing from the old Testament is only true if you say, well, yes, because that's what the new Testament instructs us to do. Something happened. So, hello, people, something changed. Guess what? God incarnate came. The Messiah, the Christ, has arrived and established the new covenant. It changes things. It changes things, and the New Testament makes this explicit. So if we read the Old Testament in isolation apart from the New Testament, that would be, I don't know if that would be hypocrisy, but it would be foolishness. It would be an incomplete picture. It would not be Christian. So so you have the ceremonial law. Now, how, do, how, do you dis how do you know which is ceremonial law there's not like a red flag or a little highlight that says oh ceremonial law here it's really all right. about uh, about looking backward and and the fulfillment in christ and in some cases jesus explicitly says so right well yeah sometimes there's explicit commands as i mentioned you know paul talks about this in colossians 2 you can look at acts 10 and i think really the whole of hebrews again how how it speaks about the fulfillment in christ and how Galatians speaks of the freedom in Christ. I think those are key texts. There is there is sometimes an overlap. In other words, there are because let me mention the other two sure, uh, types ahead. of Old Testament law real quick. Yep. There, there's the political and the moral, and and the political has to do you know there's the political laws of any nation like like we would have today with with punishments and the establishment of armies and taking of senses and 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 the establishment of kings and judges and. The political law of ancient Israel, uh, again, doesn't apply. Again, the New Testament tells us, but the reason it doesn't apply is because we, the new Israel, the, the Church of Christ, unlike ancient Israel, is not, so to speak, church and state in one. Ancient Israel was, in a sense, church and state in one. It was God's people, God's kahal, God's set-aside people, uh, and it was also its own unique so to speak, nation state, but the, the Christian church is not, we don't, we're not a political entity. So, so that's set aside, but the moral law, the moral law, that which agrees with what we would call natural law. And we, we can't spend a whole lot of time on that, but, but natural law, Paul speaks about what, what we know in our conscience to be right, right? In the opening chapters of Romans, he deals with this. And, and probably the, the best explanation I've heard you know, outside of Scripture that summarizes it is C.S. Lewis's opening chapter in Mere Christianity. So mm -hmm. I just reference people to that. If, if you don't have it, go get it as a library, read it online. But, but uh, the opening chapter in, in Mere Christianity, natural law are those is, is the moral law. What, what, what you know is right. What what across all times, places, and cultures. Now, there's varying ways in which it's implemented. But but so for example, there's no people, there's no individual, except with you know kind of you know insane exceptions, literally. That that we say we always say we value uh, courage over cowardice. We we value protecting the innocent versus 
harming the innocent. We, we value justice over injustice. You know, we value uh, uh, modesty and humility over arrogance. No one says, oh, no, I prefer arrogance and cowardice. No culture says that. No individual mm-hmm. says that. And so this, this is the natural law, the moral law. And, and, and the Old Testament, of course, is also full of moral law, perhaps best known and exemplified in the Ten Commandments. Um, and, and so that still applies because the moral law is, is a, a manifestation, if you will, almost like an extension of God's very own character. He is the moral one. He is holy. And his holiness, his morality, if you will, does not change, but is everlasting and steadfast. And so the moral law is a picture of who, who God is and how he acts and how we are then to be and who we are made in his image and, and, and redeemed uh, and, and, and in, in Christ. So um, now to, to your question about the overlap, there is sometimes – and it can get a little bit confusing – there is sometimes – overlap uh you know there's there's there'll be a text like leviticus 19 28 to 30 leviticus 19 in those verses it mentions at one of the same time uh harlotry the sabbath and tattoos um and <laughs> wow that's right? a triplet right there <laughs> yeah yeah in, in, in three in three verses a triplet of you know condemning harlotry tattoos and and the, the setting aside of the sabbath um but we don't need we don't need you know, Leviticus 19 to tell us that harlotry is immoral. Um, we have many other places outside of the Levitical code that tells that, including in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5, and so on and so forth. Sure. So in other words, if there is, so Paul is very instructive here. It's very interesting to note. Paul has these lists. He has what we may call his vice lists and his virtue lists, right? Mm-hmm. He has these lists of sins, that are to be avoided, and he has these lists of the fruit of the Spirit. It's very interesting to note, in his lists of vices or sin, he never includes things like don't eat shrimp, um, don't get a tattoo, uh, you must keep uh, the Sabbath day on Saturday. You know, he, It's interesting and instructive what he does include. He includes the moral law, mm. patience, long-suffering, kindness, joy, peace, if there is anything lovely. You know, these are the things... We are to keep. So it shouldn't trouble people say, well, it's mixed in in Leviticus. Well, you know, Moses did that because that's kind of the way things go when you're dealing dealing with a people uh, th- that is an entity that is both uh, that is at, at one and the same time ceremonial, political and moral. Uh, Moses mixes it in. But for us, you know, Paul has clarified what it is for us as Christians in, in the new Israel. OK. Fascinating. <laughs> so my uh, my desire to have a uh, tattoo of a shrimp is okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and of course it should be said here that freedom, you know, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Galatians chapter five, verse one, freedom does not mean liberty does not mean license. As Paul says, immediately sure. following Absolutely. that verse, it doesn't doing, you know, doing being free to do means that we should also say, what is it that's best to do? How do we best witness to Christ? How do we best, show our faith in God? How do we best love our neighbor? Of course, the gospel gospel builds in us, uh, works in us the desire to want to do things that are pleasing in God's sight. Yeah, and and, and things that best serve the neighbor and best point to Christ. So, so, you know, uh, while I don't think under the New Covenant, for example, we can condemn uh, a tattoo, at the same time, I think our our sanctified wisdom would say, well, but maybe it's not the best to get 
uh, tattoos in, in, over my entire body or certain tattoos. You know, I mean, there's freedom there and people have to discuss those uh, decisions that they make. And young people who are listening today, you know, discuss those things with mentors, with pastors, sure. with Absolutely. parents. So, yeah. So that's the first triplet. What's the second triplet? Well, so then Luther has a, a great helpful sermon that he preached well, he may have just written it i'm sure i think some of these sermons he didn't actually preach they were just too long but uh, he has one uh, it's actually not that long you can find it online if you want to read it it's also in luther's works and in his complete sermons it's called how christians should regard moses 1525 how christians should regard moses so if there are things that are set aside what is there besides the moral law that we also have in the new testament what is there in moses what is there in the old testament that we of the law especially, that we can still apply to us. And Luther gives a triplet. He talks, first of all, about that there are good laws that we may use if we wish, but we can discard them if they're not included under that natural moral law that we talked about and that Paul talks about in Romans 2. So, for example, uh, examples from from Moses and from the Old Testament of how, about how we care for the poor, or tithing, or you know, taking your dead brother's wife after he passes away or celebrating a jubilee year and what that means for the land and for the poor. Luther says these, these, are, these are good practices. These, we can take these, we can adapt them, but we don't have to. Uh, so, so, so we can, we may use these things, at least as an example of, of, of how, how, how things may be done. So that's one aspect. And, and then the second one, which is in a sense the most important one, is that, of course, we have, throughout Moses and throughout the Old Testament as a whole, we have the promises of God about Christ. We have what's often called the first gospel, the proto-evangel in Genesis 3.15, where we learn that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, pointing to Christ. Uh, you know, we have in Deuteronomy where it says that, he, that God will raise up after Moses a leader like him, and we should hear him. And, and, and we have in, in, you know, just, I mean, I, it could go, the list could go on and on. I mean, it's instructive here to read, for example, uh, Matthew's gospel, which is so focused on the fulfilling of these prophecies. If you want a list of these, just read Matthew again. Mm. Um, so, you know, so, so the, we see Christ, uh, not, not only in promise, but actually sometimes in fulfillment, right? We have certain, what we might call Christophany, certain appearances of Christ in the old Testament. We have, you know, the three men that visit Abraham and Sarah and tell them they're going to have a child and eat with them. And that's often understood as, as kind of a, a pre-incarnate manifestation, not only of Christ, but of, of the Trinity as a whole. So, right. uh, so, so this is just, you know, it's comforting. It's enriching. The old Testament too is a book about of and by and pointing to Christ. So it's a, it's a book of Christ. And then the third one that Luther mentions, the third aspect that is useful for us Christians today is that the, the old Testament is filled with wonderful examples of both faith and unbelief. And what I mean by that, it's maybe obvious why it would be comforting to have examples of, of great faith, uh, you know, great leaders like Moses and Joshua and their example, or Daniel in the lion's den, or, or Joseph uh, sold him to slavery down in Egypt and how they persevered and how they trusted in God. That, that's obvious how that's of comfort and edifying for us and encouraging. But the examples of unbelief, as Luther points out, I think are almost even more wonderful because mm -hmm. when we see how these patriarchs and matriarchs fall, when we see Sarah laughing at God's promise of a son, when we, when we see David committing adultery and murder and confronted with his sin by Nathan, the prophet and, 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 you know, repenting before God and how God restores them, how God is faithful in the midst of 
unfaithfulness, how, mm. how Israel, how ancient Israel was so often playing the part of the harlot, and God was a faithful husband to them. I mean, that's encouraging for sinners like you and me, right, Marcus? Oh, you know? and, absolutely. And I, and I think for all our listeners, if there's hope for, for those folks, if there's hope for David and Sarah and all of them, then there's then there's hope for you and me and for every listener out there. And so uh, so I think that, that, that that's the third one Luther mentions. And by the way, this might be helpful in relation to a question you asked earlier. Luther also points out that as we're reading the Old Testament, we should note very well whether it is a word that is spoken to the believers in general, or if it's a specific historical right. dis- descriptive example. So, for example, if it says in Second Samuel, out of you shall come the king, well, that's not talking to you and me. That's talking to King David. You know, and if it says, go and sacrifice your son, that's not talking to you or me. That's talking to Abraham. Right. Or if it says, get up and leave and move to another country, that's talking to Abraham, not to you and me. And, and even in the New Testament, there's kind of a transitional stage, you know, with Jesus' ministry where, for example, the lepers in, in Luke 17 are to go to the priest and, and, and offer a sacrifice. It's kind of a transitional stage there until Pentecost. Obviously, the example of gratitude by one of the lepers is instructive for us. But so Luther says, look for those passages. And this is, you know, we can see this especially fulfilled in the New Covenant, uh, in the New Testament, that speak of you, of speak of all nations, all creatures, the ends of the earth, you believers, you who are baptized. So, you know, passages like Matthew 28 and Acts 1 and 1 Peter 2 and Romans 6. Uh, and so context is important here. And I would just say to the listener, this is not, as you mentioned earlier, it's not always that clear to us. It's not, you know, the, the Bible is not necessarily always written as a, as a, you know, a systematic doctrinal book with an index and a table of contents in, in, in that way. But so if, if we're having trouble distinguishing some of these things that I'm talking about, go talk to your pastor, uh, you know, have a conversation with him. He, he can give you resources. He can help you um, and, and work through these things. But, and, but and those are the three. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, uh, of course, uh, just got about three minutes or so left here. Uh, no, no discussion of uh, God reigning threes. When we talk about the law would be complete without kind of us to give us a little overview of uh, kind of the three uses of the law that we kind of uh, talk a lot about in our Lutheran circles. Uh, um, yeah, so we got so we got three minutes left for the last triplet. That's good. That's there good. you go. And actually, and, and it's <laughs> totally and it planned probably, that way. <laughs> it's probably the one that that is best known to people anyway. Although sure. we can always learn more and more about it, but in a sense, it's a subset of the fr- of the third of the first triplet. In other words, the moral law. Right. Uh, what are uh, what are the uses of the moral law, whether Old Testament or New Testament? And of course, traditionally, we Lutherans talk about curb, mirror, guide. The law, the moral law, curbs or restrains our sinful behavior. You know, if I, if I didn't know that it was a sin to physically harm some someone, then I would be more likely to, to punch Marcus Zill in the face. But, you know, I know, I hear, I hear the, the law, I hear, and, and I, think I thank God Luther's, for the moral law every day because I get hit a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, here Luther's explanations in the small catechism are so wonderful. You know, I think of the fifth commandment, you shall not commit murder, but that extends to, to, to physical care in general. So, um, so that, yeah, that restrains, and you can see how this goes out the window, you know, when there's like a blackout or a natural disaster and what happens, people start looting stores and people start going crazy, many of them, because there's not the restraint there. The, the, the police force or whatever cannot, you know, or, or is in, unable to, to enforce law as they usually would. Um, I'm, I'm going to skip to the third one, which is the guide, because we'll come back to the chief use of the mirror. The guide is, um, is, is the law for the Christian 
showing what holy living looks like. Luther would say, okay, you're a Christian. You become a Christian. You want to know what to do? Look to the law. Here it lays out what to do. I would say this is, this is, there's, there's a close relation. I'm not, I'm not trying to mingle law and gospel. That would be a terrible error, but there's a close relationship here to what we might, some have called the second use of the gospel. The first use of course, is the forgiveness of sins, salvation, but the gospel also has in a sense, an identifying or descriptive use. And Paul does this. Uh, he talks about, okay, Hey, you're Christians, you're baptized here. Live then as the Christian live as the baptized. This is your identity. You know, you have died to Christ, Live now unto God in faith and to your neighbor in love. It's what we might call a practical use, an exhortation mm-hmm. to live as those who we are. Um, and and then finally, the mirror, which we call uh, the second use usually. usually. And this is always in use. This is a chief use. This shows us our sin. Uh, we look into the law as a mirror. We see that we are sinners. Uh, we can also hold that mirror at an angle, so to speak, and we can see that not only are we sinners, but the world is fallen and broken. And that, that compels us to help the world, and it also helps us to understand what's happened to us, the, the attacks of the world. And, 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 and I think pastorally that can help us in, in dealing with people who have been you know, really hurt and abused by, by others and by the world. But this drives us to Christ, too, because if we see ourselves as sinners, we, we realize I need a savior from sin. And so, so Luther said, when Moses accuses me of sin, I must admit that he is right. But when he says, therefore you must die, then I answer, no, Christ has died for my sin. Then Moses smiles a kind smile and says, that's where I wanted to lead you. Well, and that's maybe the best place to stop. Thank you for walking us through that today, Pastor Andre, and God bless you in your ministry. Thank you very much, pastors. We'll take care. Law and order every time. That's us. Well, that's all we have time for here today in the Student Union. Check out the archives of this program at kfu.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus, we'll help.